Okay, hello everybody, today is Friday, another Anything Goes Friday, welcome to the show. Just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that there was not a regularly scheduled episode that came out last Wednesday about the Long Island serial killer, but there should be one next week. In fact, I'm hoping that next week is going to have a completely normal schedule, and that I will uh, be able to just be recording and sharing this stuff with you guys, just like before. And also, I would always like to give you guys the reminder that this show is available for free downloads at Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. You can download the audio version of this program as a pure podcast, take it on the go anywhere and anyhow. And if you'd like to download the video version, you can use YouTube Premium, but that one you have to pay for. Launchpad 1 is free. And, of course, if anybody would like to make a contribution to support any of these efforts, you can go over to buymeacoffee.com and look at the page BlackBoxNet88, but again, the easiest way to find it is the link in the description box, and anybody who makes a contribution will get a shout-out on Zodiac Monday, and all of the contributions will go to further efforts with this channel, whether it's buying equipment or getting new true crime books to talk about with you guys. But, um, this is a story that I learned about, perhaps in more of the old-fashioned way of Black Box Online Radio, Back in 2019 and 2020, I didn't do the program three days a week like I do now. I did it every day for 20 minutes, and I just would talk to you guys about whatever subject I was reading up on, and it wasn't only true crime at that point. It literally was an anything-goes for every single day. Any subject was welcome, but... Over the years, I found that you guys were asking a lot of questions about the true crime cases, and I began to become more fascinated with them, whether it was the Zodiac Killer, or the Texarkana Moonlight Murders, or some of the other serial killers, such as Jeffrey Dahmer and John Wayne Gacy. You guys really shared a lot of things with me, and I responded to them here, but this story is one that's going to be a little bit different, because it's not about a serial killer, so to speak, but rather just a bizarre and tragic event. And there are going to be some challenge questions that are going to be intertwined throughout this episode, so I would love to read your responses down below. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this one is, why do we even follow the true crime genre to begin with? I was listening to an episode of the podcast The First Degree once, and the host said that she follows the true crime shows and material, because it tells her what she needs to do in the world to feel safe. And I read a very similar thing in the New York Times talking about the reason why there are so many women who follow the true crime genre is because it, it's for that exact same reason. It gives awareness of the dangers of society, and women are very much attracted to security. And, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. There is this element of curiosity that we all have about true crime cases, and we simply just want to know what happened. But also, what are other people thinking? Why do people do the things they do? And it's just an exploration of human behavior. And the security aspect is true for men as well, because I don't think that um, we want to turn a blind eye to any of these, any of these points, but... I would like to um, share a little bit about the Yorkshire Crossbow Murder, which saw the death of Shane Gilmer. And I learned about this one because I couldn't sleep last night, and I began reading up on this one because I, 
I was recommended a video from YouTube. Like, I just picked up my phone, and YouTube recommended this video from the channel this morning. And I was like, okay, I mean, what's this thing about the Yorkshire crossbow murder? And then I began reading up a little bit more, and this morning is a talk show, but they talk a lot about stories of human experience, and I've actually used them as the source material for the episode that I did on Natalia Grace Barnett, the woman who uh, may have been 16 years old, posing as a child who is now in her 20s, or some people think that she is still a teenager to this day, and you can find that uh, podcast segment here on Black Box Online Radio, but it is one of the old-fashioned Black Box recordings. So I was watching this interview with a woman named Laura Sugden, who talked about how her boyfriend, Shane Gilmer, was murdered by the neighbor named Anthony Lawrence, and not only was her partner killed, but Anthony Lawrence also tried to murder Laura Sugden as well by using a crossbow. He was a neighbor who had several disputes with them, and in some of the sources they say that they were there were noise complaints, but in some of the other sources they say that the um, the tenants, Shane and Laura, had complained about the smell of cannabis coming from his home, and he retaliated in a very destructive way. And the bizarre behavior began to escalate. But the actual incident with the crossbow was involved because their properties were connected. Like, I would call this a duplex, but I didn't see that word used in any of the sources, so maybe it's a different type of building or they have some other name for it in the UK. And they say that he made his way through the loft, which is what looks to me like some type of attic where the bricks were very loose, so he's able to pull out these loose bricks and he went through what they call the um, hatch in the loft, or a makeshift little tunnel, so to speak, and got into the property of Shane and Laura, and that is when he attacked them with a crossbow, and even modified the bolts of the crossbow to make it more lethal. Laura was actually shot in the head, but she was able to survive and got into a very vicious struggle with Anthony Lawrence. Shane was shot in the arm and in the um, torso, but he passed away from his injuries. And Laura was actually 20 weeks pregnant at the time. To help us out, I'm going to go over to an article from BBC.com, and this one was published on April 14th of 2021. A man who killed his neighbor and injured a pregnant woman with a crossbow had altered the bolts to make them more lethal. An inquest has been heard. Anthony Lawrence, age 55, shot Shane Gilbert, age 30, and his partner Laura Sugden in their home near Driffield, East Yorkshire, on January 12th of 2018. He fled the scene and was found two days later dead in a caravan in North Yorkshire and the Holes Coroner, as reported. The jurors were told that there was evidence that the killer had been growing cannabis. Anthony Lawrence, who had been served with an eviction notice after the couple made a complaint about the cannabis smells from his property, broke into their home in Southburn through an adjoining loft hatch on January 12th and waited in a bedroom for them to return home before launching the premeditated attack. Giving evidence on the third day of the hearing, Detective Sergeant Julian Gibbs of the Humberside Police showed the court images of the kitchen and bedroom in Lawrence's home where he had altered the crossbow bolts to make them more lethal. Officers also discovered three crossbows in the property and a device attached to the adjoining wall so that he could listen to the couple, they said. 
Senior Coroner Professor Paul Marks previously heard how Mr. Gilmer had told a 999 call handler after he had been shot that Lawrence had been listening to the couple's conversations for a year. Mr. Gibbs said that Lawrence was a loner with no immediate friends. And already, I'm sure you guys are thinking about some immediate red flags. And firstly, I do want to point out that in some of the articles they say that there were multiple disputes. It's not only this issue with the cannabis, there are also noise complaints and the fact that he is listening in on their conversations or more or less spying on them, even though when we say spying, we usually think about something visual. There are multiple disputes going on, but a lot of people are pointing out to the fact that he was a loner and spending all of his time by himself. I don't think that that is an immediate red flag. I mean, have you ever spent a lot of time by yourself? Some of us are extremely introverted, and when it comes to murderous types, think about some of the people that I was talking about at the beginning, whether it was Jeffrey Dahmer or John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy. They were rather outgoing social individuals, and there's this common belief that serial killers are just absolute loners, and they spend all their time by themselves, and then they're just waiting to unleash their destructive tendencies after nightfall. But in fact, many serial killers are very outgoing people. Now with Anthony Lawrence, he is someone who tried to commit a double homicide, and he was unsuccessful. I mean, meaning Shane Gilmer was murdered, but Laura Sugden survived. And then he committed suicide, as you heard, two days later, and, um, in the caravan. So, immediately... I'm noticing how people are calling him a psychopath, they're calling him some type of devious, twisted um, murderer, and those points could very well be true, but I'm also just noting signs of mental instability, and I don't really think that this is the story of a man who um, spent too much time by himself. Again, some people do that, and they don't become murderous. I believe that this person was dealing with a lot of intense mental issues, what I can't exactly say, but I think that that is exactly what's going on, and his destructive tendencies are escalating. And I would love to know what you guys think, because some people have um, even talked about this in other cases on this channel, saying that, firstly, if somebody, unless somebody is undergoing a psychotic episode, they are expected to have the awareness to um, seek out mental health treatments and therapy and um, medication, and even if those aren't working, they, they're expected to have the awareness to alter the course and um, to get on a more successful uh, plan. So it, in short, saying that he had the ability to know right from wrong, and the way that the juries look at this, if he's making these premeditated attempts to get into their home, and he's doing these destructive things that are escalating over a year, then he knew exactly what he was doing. Mental instability? Absolutely. But calculation and premeditation? That shows mental awareness. So, almost certainly he was not undergoing a psychotic episode. Because someone once told me this, and you guys can take it for what you will, but they said, in psychosis, there is no logic. Like, if someone is having a psychotic episode, then they aren't going to be aware of their mental faculties to go into a logical way. 
but um, I would like to go to another article up from wholedailymail.co.uk. The crossbow killer's last request after forging an escape plan was to go to Thailand, but Anthony Lawrence's planned getaway ultimately ended in his death in a caravan. The crossbow killer Anthony Lawrence planned an audacious escape to Thailand after murdering Shane Gilmer and even asked his sister to look after his dog, but instead ended up dead in a camper van on a remote country road. Shane Gilmer was shot by a crossbow that was in the possession of his neighbor Anthony Lawrence, who was 55 years old at the time, in the sleepy village of Southburn near Driftfield on January 12, 2018. Lawrence also attempted to kill Mr. Gilmer's pregnant girlfriend, Laura Sugden, by shooting her in the head and then pushing the bolt into her neck. She managed to flee to safety and got to a neighbor's house and then dialed 999. And Laura was talking about this on the show this morning, saying that the way that she was actually able to escape was she got into this confrontation with him and she was able to overpower him. And I'm only guessing that that was adrenaline and the human instinct and the will to live because she has what appears to be multiple injuries. Bear in mind, she was 20 weeks pregnant at the time. And, I mean, he, I'm not exactly sure his exact physical condition. I mean, he's in his mid-50s, but you think like someone who is injured, who has been shot in the head with a crossbow bolt that has been modified to become even more lethal, would have a disadvantage, but she said she was able to overpower him, and that was the way that she was able to get away and call 999, and that's ultimately what saved her life. Day three of the inquest into Mr. Gilmer's death heard how the day before the attack, Lawrence told his sister that he would be going to Thailand and asked if she could look after his dog, but none of his family members had any idea about the evil plans he had for his next-door neighbors. And you see, though, this is one that is very, very calculated. This isn't even a passion-provoked crime that happened the day of. So much planning went into this. And when people use the term mentally ill, I have said this before on the channel many times, that mostly just means dangerous or likelihood of committing destructive behavior and destructive actions. And I mean that. I am, I'm not trying to be lighthearted or to talk about it in any confusing way. I genuinely mean that when people refer to someone as mentally ill in common language, as well as even in some basic forms of literature, they're saying, this person is dangerous. So is he mentally ill? Yes. Now, mental illness, I believe that that refers to a person exhibiting certain behaviors that allows them to be diagnosed with a condition. If they have these specific behaviors, then they are diagnosed with this type of mental illness. And you can see, though, someone can be deranged. Someone can be very cold and in, either indifferent to human life or enjoying the misery that they are creating for other people. But in all seriousness... He definitely seemed like he knew what he was doing, and this was very deliberate. So, absolute um, tragedy, and rest in peace to Shane Gilmer. Humberside Police Detective Sergeant Julian Gibbs told Holt's coroner's office that the family were unaware of him possessing weapons such as a crossbow, and all indications were that Tony Lawrence was a loner. I mean, I, I think I've shared everything about that. The inquest heard how Lawrence had previously made a payment to hire a motorhome on January 3rd, which he had collected on January 8th with CCTV camera 
picking up the vehicle that day, he slept in the motorhome at different locations over the next two nights. The inquest heard how Lawrence then returned to Driftfield area, where he met up with his brother that afternoon. Phone data suggested that Lawrence was at his home in Southburn on January 11th and was seen by a neighbor burning paperwork in a metal bin around 12.45 p.m. and 1 p.m. He then visited a store in Driftfield around 3.30 p.m. that day in the company of his sister and withdrew 250 pounds in cash. They left the store at 3.41, and we know that their inquiry about Tony Lawrence had informed his sister that he was going to be in Thailand and asked if she could look after his dog, but the officer confirmed that the court had no evidence of Lawrence actually purchasing a ticket to Thailand. And, um, you know, people can make up some type of story, even if they're just going to tell people that they're in Thailand and they actually go on the run. It's like a cover story or something, or maybe he actually wanted to go. We can't ask Anthony Lawrence now because he is dead. And even if we learn more details about the plot that he was orchestrating, um, it doesn't really change the situation too much. He was a deranged person, and he was trying to commit a very destructive act partially because he believed that he wouldn't have been punished for it. And Laura Sugden was talking about this as well in the interview on this morning when she said that the fact that he committed suicide and was found dead in his trailer, or um, I guess caravan, camper van, maybe some more British terms, then there's just no justice. It's like, because he cannot be punished, he cannot be prosecuted, and there's just this saddening feeling that he got away with it in a certain way, even though he's dead now. Um, but I don't really think that he was any type of brilliant criminal. I, I think I've been pretty clear that he was someone who had some very deranged and mental problems and wasn't dealing with them. Tony Lawrence was solely responsible for the death of Shane Gilmer. It was also his intention to kill Laura. The reality is that Tony Lawrence fled the scene as a result of Laura managing to escape. Had Tony Lawrence been alive, he would have been in charge with the murder of Shane Gilmer and the attempted murder of Laura Sugden. Police were given registration of Lawrence's motorhome, which was then fitted with a tracking device. The last point of location was along the A-170 near East Layton in North Yorkshire. On the morning of January 14th at 10.10, the motorhome was located in Laby at a, on a rural road at a location known as Redbrow. Police found arrowheads consistent with the weapons found within this property in Southburn. Lawrence was found dead inside the vehicle, having taken an overdose of painkillers. The inquest into Shane Gilmer's death, which began on April 12th, is expected to last a total of five days. So, um, what, what was he actually planning? I'm not sure. And based on the amount of mental awareness that he did have, I mean awareness of his mental faculties, some people have reported this, people who have committed crimes like this, where they do it in a calculating way, and then they're just overwhelmed with fear, or um, this, they didn't comprehend the gravity of the situation until the crime was committed, and that can trigger something like an attempted suicide. Now, I'm purely going off of the stories of other people, obviously, about other convicted murderers, and what they talk about but I, again, I just cannot get away from the fact that this is someone who is just um, fueling his own uh, mental instability. But there was a particular reason why I chose 
this exact topic for the Anything Goes Friday segment, one of them was to talk about the reasons why people learn about the true crime world, and um, I think that it ties into the red flags and the warning signs, and being able to observe behaviors in other people. But on the show this morning, Laura Sugden was talking about a very particular challenge question. And if you've uh, jumped around in the episode and you ended up here, that's great. If you listen to the whole thing, that's even more excellent welcome. But what Laura Sugden said was that people should not have ever have a need to use a crossbow. Should you have a license to own a crossbow? And what do you think about that? And the reason why, she said, is there's no actual need for one, and the second one is that you wouldn't be denying people the ability to own a crossbow. You can own one, you just need to get a license, the same way you get a driver's license. And I would just like to ask that as a challenge question. Should it be required to have a license to own a crossbow? Because in terms of um, people who are using these for things such as hunting, or even people who are very much involved with target shooting. I mean, some people are very, very passionate about um, archery, just going for the targets, and, th and that includes using crossbows on their own property and so on. I mean, my immediate response is, I don't think that would ever work in the United States. People in America are very, very much against any type of permit or regulation on any particular uh, weapon. I mean, we talk about this a lot with firearms, but this isn't even a gun, a crossbow. And what what she's talking about is, because this person had the, a crossbow, he had a very much higher chance, he had, a, he had a higher chance of killing both her and Shane Gilmer, and Shane Gilmer passed away. So... What is your response to that question? Should it be required to have a license to own a crossbow? I may have mangled that sentence a little bit, but I think you can get the idea. And in the United States of America, we talk about this all the time with the gun control debate, and what people mostly say in response is, you know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And again, he didn't have a gun, he had a crossbow. But what they often say as a response is, you don't blame the weapon, you blame the person. The same way that if somebody picks up a rock and strikes somebody over the head and that person dies, well, that person could have just used the rock as an ordinary rock and just tossed it to the side, or they use it for a destructive reason and they hit somebody. No matter what happens, you don't blame the rock, or you don't blame the gun, or you don't blame the crossbow. But what do you think about that? And um, I'm really kind of more focused on the the concept of obtaining a license to own a crossbow because um, as opposed to any type of gun control debate, because I think all of us would be in agreement that a gun and a crossbow are absolutely in different realms. I mean, firstly, um, this um, whole story, though, I think is pointing in the direction of if this guy, Anthony Lawrence, was like he was described in all of these articles here, then he most likely would have committed the crime in a different way. And 
maybe he would have crawled through that little loft space in the duplex, and he would have attacked them with a baseball bat, or maybe a cricket bat, or maybe he would have just, as I said, picked up a very heavy rock and then thrown it at them. The way that he did this in such a deliberate attempt, his ambition and his focus was on trying to kill Shane Gilmore and Laura Sugden. It wasn't so much he's the, that he's in the possession of a crossbow, now he wants to do something more dangerous. Purely my take on the subject. As I said, he's dead. He committed suicide. But what do you think about that? And you can weigh in in the comments section down below. Should it be required to have a permit or license to own a crossbow? Now I would like to go to an article from the Yorkshire Post entitled Crossbow Killer Eavesdropped on Couple for a Year on Listening Device and Altered Darts to Make Them More Lethal. A loaner installed a listening device to eavesdrop on neighbors and make altered crossbow darts to make them more lethal before launching a carefully planned and premeditated attack which killed a council worker and seriously injured his pregnant girlfriend. Police are investigating the attack which left Shane Gilmer dead and Laura Sugden needing life-saving treatment from bladders used by Anthony Lawrence to get into their home in Southburn near Driftfield via a shared loft space. He'd knocked down a dividing wall in the loft, removing a hallway light bulb before laying in wait for their return on the evening of January 12th of 2018. Before shooting Miss Sugden in the head, he told her he had been listening to them for a year, which was later apparently confirmed by the police due to a discovery of a listening device with a microphone fixed to his wall. And then Mr. Gilmer was fatally injured with a crossbow bolt penetrating his arm and body and into his spine and died later in the hospital. As well as finding three crossbows, police discovered darts on Lawrence's kitchen table and evidence of him making, more, making them more lethal than they would have been. An inquest into the whole heard on Wednesday. A manhunt ensued and Lawrence's body was found in a hired camper van on a railroad near East Aiton in North Yorkshire. He had taken an overdose of the painkiller tramadol. In a jury at the inquest, a jury at the inquest that had Lawrence lived, he would have been charged with the murder of Mr. Gilmer and the attempted murder of Miss Sugden. Expert analysis found DNA evidence connecting bloodstains on the Crocs, Crog, Hopper trousers and polo shirt worn by Lawrence matching the victims. The heavy blood staining on the shoes indicated that he had stepped in an area of blood. I mean, I get that they're trying to establish that he was the real killer and this definitely was him and they caught the right person, but I'm, I don't think there was any dispute. This guy was guilty. Detective Sergeant Julian Gibbs said even given the overwhelming evidence, he would have been likely guilty of both horrendous offenses. And these are horrendous offenses, and I cannot stress this enough in the true crime world. So many times people commit a crime like this because... They think they are not going to get caught. We can talk about mental illness. We can talk about the weapons. We can talk about how people have access to dangerous materials. But what about blamelessness? Putting someone into a category of blamelessness. Someone is trying to put themselves into a category of blamelessness because they think that they're going to get away with it. And... Sometimes people launch very, very terrible plans, but still, they think that if there's no expectation of punishment, 
then they continue to participate in these destructive actions. And yes, he was mentally unstable. Yes, he had access to um, weapons. But also, the overwhelming suspicion that I have, I repeat suspicion, is that he thought that he was going to commit this crime and not go to jail. Either he was going to Thailand or just going on the run, telling people he's going to Thailand, but he's just, um, you know, going to be roaming around England. Or maybe he was planning the suicide for a longer time. We can't really know the truth there, but it really seemed like his intention was to commit a double homicide and not get caught. Or not be punished for it, rather. The day before the attack, Lawrence gave his sister his dog to look after, saying that he was going to live in Thailand. However, there was no evidence that he bought a ticket. The detective said that the attack coincided with Miss Sugden's daughter having been away from home, but the significance of that could not be quantified. I think by that they mean that we aren't 100% sure if um, it was factored into his plan. Miss Sugden had complained to their landlord about the smell of cannabis coming into the daughter's bedroom, and the investigation found clear evidence that it had been grown there. Lawrence had been given notice to vacate the property following the following month. Detective Sergeant Gibbs said that there were two schools of thought as to why he hired a camper van, one theory being that it would allow him to create an elaborate alibi. He had also disconnected his phone from the network on the afternoon of January 12th, potentially frustrating attempts to place him at the scene of the attack. While he left his wallet, driving, driver's license, and bank card behind, he had the presence of mind to take the painkiller, suggesting he may have had an alternative plan for an outcome. I mean, do you see, though, this guy is very destructive, very dangerous, but um, he is in mostly complete control of his faculties, so he definitely would have been found guilty, and an insanity defense would not have been very practical, or most likely it would not have worked. The detective said none of Lawrence's family members were aware that he possessed any crossbows. All the indications that Tony Lawrence was a loner, he couldn't establish any immediate circle of friends that he would associate with. And we concluded in relation to the knowledge of what took place that Tony was involved or had the knowledge of what was going to happen. And the inquest continues. But of course, that is an older article. And big thank you to the Yorkshire Post for that one, as well as all the other sources here. But at this point... I would just like to know what you guys think about this particular case, and you can weigh in on some of the challenge questions about why people are following stories of the true crime world, why do people develop this type of fascination with it, and also, what is your take on the challenge question about owning a license to have a crossbow, and should we blame the weapon or should we blame the person? I absolutely do not think that Laura Sugden is asking that question herself. Should we blame the weapon or the person? I'm pretty sure she blames the attacker. But is that the appropriate response to put a ban on crossbows or a ban on, or making it required to own a crossbow? I would love to know what you guys think about that because, as you heard though, he took the crossbow bolts and modified them to make them even more lethal. That means that he could have done that with something else. Remember what I said about he could have attacked them with a baseball bat? Then he could have done something dangerous with that as well. He could have stuck a blade or some type of sharp object into the baseball bat and modified that to make it 
more lethal. And this is why so many people are critical of regulations. And that is because they believe that people are going to find a way around them. It's just you close one method or you take away one method, then they're going to find another method. And that it's mostly a mental instability issue or it is mostly just human nature. And this has been going on since the dawn of time. And the only real way to do this is to address our cultural issues and recognize that sometimes violence is glorified in the media and we need to be 100% clear that the actions of somebody such as Anthony Lawrence were despicable, they were cold, horrendous, indifferent to human life. It's quite possible the guy was a psychopath or a sociopath and he needed mental health treatment more than anything. But if um, you want to weigh in on the discussion about um, should someone be required to have a license to own a crossbow, please put your idea in the comment section down below. Share anything that you would like. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. And there is always blackboxnid88 on Instagram. And I will see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.